Puritan John Flavel said famously, the next, the law sends us to Christ to be justified, and Christ sends us to the law to be sanctified. The last thing that any Christian wants to hear is about the law. Do I hear an amen on that? Especially, this is doubly true, if what we're talking about is how you are to spend your time when you're not making a buck, doing chores, or sleeping. In other words, our leisure time. But we have to ask ourselves if this nice pithy saying behind me has any truth. And if it does have truth, what does it mean? And how is it that I am supposed to obey the law so that I can be a quote-unquote good Christian? And by the way, that sounds an awful lot like the legalism we talked a couple weeks ago about. The question of the importance of the law in the daily life of the Christian is an enormous question. And I'm not even going to be able to come close to talking about all the ins and outs. And in fact, what I want to do is I want to end all doubt before it starts that I am, yes, an Orthodox Baptist preacher by quoting the quote-unquote saving verse that us Baptists preach when we want to say that the law is dead. And that is found in Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He, God the Father, condemned sin in our flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. You and I cannot fulfill the righteous requirement of law. So He had to do it for us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, at this starting point, we have John Flavel ringing in our ears, and then we have the Apostle Paul ringing in our ears. The question then is, what do we do with the law? If the law is dead so far as the Christian is concerned, why is the New Testament filled from beginning to end with commands? Commands like, Give preference to one another. Serve one another. Submit to one another. Forgive one another. Love one another. Notice that three of the commands up there are written by Paul himself. And I could have made a much longer list than that. When Paul says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, clearly what he is not saying is that there are no commands for you and I to follow. In fact, Paul's point here in Romans chapter 8 is that you cannot make yourself righteous through the law. You cannot fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. Instead, what we pick up in other places from Paul is that you can only be credited with righteousness and that is by trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the promises of God that are guaranteed because of that sacrifice of Christ on the cross on your behalf. To 
to say it really easily, because you could not fulfill the law, Jesus did it for you. So again, we ask the question, what do we do with the law? How is the Christian supposed to use, quote-unquote, the law? Let me quote R.C. Sproul on what he calls the three uses of the law by Christians. The first one is, the law of God is a mirror of God's holiness and our unrighteousness. God's law, the commandments found beginning and ending to the end of Scripture, have to do with revealing my need for a Savior. Secondly, the law of God is a restraint against sin. If you look at the good laws of any nation, they are based on, or at least reflect, the law of God found especially in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. The law of God restrains sin. Now, the third use of the law, and this is where we'll be tonight, the law of God reveals what is pleasing and what is offensive to God. Here is the rub. Here is where you and I are going to hear about tonight. We're going to highlight how you and I can make choices in light of God's commands about using our time in the very best manner possible for our good, for God's glory, and for the growth of His kingdom. Because if we are going to determine how we use our time, if we are going to determine how we set about using the brain waves that go bouncing back and forth between our ears, we need to understand, we need to make some sense of all of His relevant commands for our life today. We are not, make no mistake, we are not using God's law for salvation. We are using God's law to show us what we can do and what we cannot do in order to please Him. So this phrase, the law sends us to Christ to be justified and Christ sends us to the law to be sanctified, this is not true if what you understand is that somehow after you are justified by faith, you must follow the law to be sanctified. That you are somehow made more like Christ by seeking to use the law as a means of righteousness. That is not true. The law was never designed to work that way. Our statement here is true if you understand it to mean that by obeying the relevant commands of Scripture by faith, in the process of trusting the promises of God for you in Christ, then you will be pleasing to God. Paul says exactly this in Romans 9.32. Why did Israel fail to be declared righteous? Because they did not pursue it. They did not pursue the law by faith, but as if it were based on works. Israel failed to make themselves righteous because they didn't pursue faith. They pursued the law based on works. The law must be pursued by faith, not as a means of earning God's favor. Now, on the other hand, obedience accompanied with faith enables us to experience God's blessing. Jesus says exactly this 
He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Obedience is the surest sign of love. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Trusting God's promises, paying attention to what pleases him. This is the means for making us more like Christ and becoming more like Jesus Christ is what sanctification means. So, Christ does not, strictly speaking, send us to the law to be sanctified. We must be sent to grace. And grace by faith. But while we are there, while we are experiencing grace, while we are growing in our faith, we will find that His commands we will find His commands and we will wish to be empowered by His Holy Spirit to obey them. Now, Justin Taylor puts this, I think, nicely. He says, The law serves us by making us thankful for Jesus when we break it and serves us by showing us how to love God and others. That is our third aspect of the law that we said earlier. Tonight, what I want to do I want to look at three particular passages that contain very clear commands and see how it is that by meditating on them, by trusting the promises that are implicit within them, and by going to God with these commands, we will be the men and women God has created us to be. The first point in your notes is we need to set aside time to undo the world's squeezing us into its mold. And I don't normally like choosing paraphrases, but this one I couldn't pass up. Uh, J.B. Phillips paraphrased Romans 12, 1 and 2, and he said this, With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give Him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to Him and acceptable by Him. Do not let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. But let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice what is the plan of God. That the plan of God for you is good, meets all His demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. Paul says here, we must, because of God's mercies, we must live sacrificially. But that begs the question, what is it that we are to sacrifice? What is it that Paul wants from us? And I, I think in the, a nutshell, it's our own determination. Ultimate determination on who we are to be. What we are to be. We are to give up our rights, so to speak, to live however we want. Because like it or not, whether you want to believe it or not, there are some things that you cannot do as a Christian. Or at least you cannot do them and be happy while doing it. Rather than choosing our own destiny, which is impossible anyways, we are to allow that determination to be forever in Christ's hands. And that's exactly what he said to Peter in John 21. 
Peter saw Jesus. He said to Jesus, Lord, what about this guy? That, that guy, what about him? Pick on him for a little while, Jesus. Jesus said to Peter, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Jesus says very clearly, it's none of your business what goes on with him. You follow me. Don't worry about complaining, comparing yourself to anyone else. You serve your Lord. When you signed on the dotted line, so to speak, you agreed to let the God of the universe decide what's best for you. And at minimum, if nothing else, it means if you are doing something that you don't that you're not absolutely convinced pleases the Lord, stop it. That's what Paul tells us in Romans 14.23, whatever is not from faith is sin. Now fortunately for you and me, His plans are always for our good, even when His plans lead through suffering. And when we choose to be transformed by His Holy Spirit through His Word, we will understand His will for us. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And you and I will be the men and women of God that He has created us to be. Our principle from this, Romans 12, is to test your motives to see if you are choosing the best. And ask yourself, am I tending to conform or be transformed? Here's some questions. When in our free time we are chasing after pipe dreams instead of that which... Um, fits according to these principles. I've been, I've been giving you principles in your notes each week. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but I've kind of summed them all up here. This is just a place to start. These, these principles that are on here. This is just a place to start. And you'll, you'll come up with your own that are important, that fit your personality, where you are in life. But this is a place to start. Look at these Scriptures and see how God wants you to live. If what you're doing is turning away in your free time to pipe dreams to escape this, then you're not going to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. You're going to be pushed or squeezed into the mold the world wants you to be. Do your pastimes reflect what the world does and why the world does them? Or do your pastimes tend to help you in your quest to be sanctified, to become progressively more and more like Jesus Christ. Test your motives to see if what you regularly choose is what is best. Is what you're doing making you more like Jesus? Use your time to please the Lord. Now, our next passage deals with another problem. And this is, I think, one of the biggest problems that Christians in general have. And that is trifling with God. Our point here can be called, don't be held in contempt of God. If you need to be held in contempt of court, that's bad enough. But don't be held in contempt of God. In Micah 6, God brings Israel to court. And He calls for testimony from the earth. Because the earth witnessed all of God's blessings for them and how Israel has just, whatever. And we get here to Micah 6 and Israel's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, 
With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? He starts off where the sacrifice should have been, but notice the sarcasm. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Oh my goodness, he is going deep on this one. But I love God's mouthpiece, Micah. He has told you, O oh man. He has told you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Oh my goodness! Do you catch the contempt? The outright trifling with the God of the universe? That is stupid. That is dumb. Don't get caught in contempt of God. Let's cut to the chase, responds God's mouthpiece, Micah. God only wants three things. He wants you to seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God and sing cool Stephen Curtis Chapman songs. Now, it seems to me that if we're looking for a guidance on how we should live our lives in light of God's Word, this is a great place to start. And if I were choosing this passage as a, as a place to exposit for a sermon, then I would, we would dive into how we can do each of these. But I think more important for us tonight is to come under the conviction that we need not to hold God in contempt. See if you're trifling with God. Here's what it looks like when I'm trifling with God. Number one, this sin isn't that important. I deserve a break. I'm not as bad as that guy over there. I'm, I'm a pretty good person on the whole. How about number two? I can skip my quiet time today. I'm very regular with it. And, you know, I'm really not skipping it anyways because I'm planning on doing it as soon as I get this or that or the other thing done. Or how about trifling with God attempt number three? I know God wants me to love or forgive or show compassion to this person, but they're a real jerk. And I, I really don't have time right now. There are, are more pressing matters. Well, really, I need to love the greatest number of people, the greatest opportunity, and, and this right now is just, it's just too much. I need to move on to someone else. Does any of this sound familiar? Does anybody understand from their own heart how this is? Have you ever lied to yourself like any of these? Moses discovered from one sin in particular, one failure to treat the Lord as holy, that failure caused him not to enter the promised land. Make sure above all else that you treat the Lord as holy. Now, if that is what you're doing, if treating the Lord as holy is your pursuit, then you will consider, you will take time to think about how you can answer our question, am I seeking justice, faithfulness to God and His people, and humility? Rather than piddling around with things that won't last, rather than turning away from being the person God created you to be, take God time to ask God to show you. 
how you can take part in seeking justice. How you can show faithfulness to God in your leisure time. What it is you need and I need to do to be more humble. Use your time to please your Lord. And I want to end on particular with this passage and learn to live by the right house rules. 1 Thessalonians 5.14-21 and 21, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak, and be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but um, always seek to do good to everyone Seek good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In all things, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Hold fast to what is good. Oh, and I guess it's 22. says, but abhor that which is evil. I should have put 22 in there as well. Uh, if you recognize that, that was our um, fighter verses back in January. So obviously... I had them down in January, but now they're down as solidly now. Um, I confess, the last three weeks I have not been doing my fighter verse work. Um, Martin Luther, a famous reformer, calls passages like this house toffles. And a house toffle uh, literally was just the table in the house. They only had one. But what he meant by it was they were the house rules, the table of the house rules. And he wasn't interested in card games. He was interested in what are the rules for this house on how we are to live? How ought Christians to live our lives? And Luther understood better than most today that the law is not a part about of bringing us into holiness but that when we are in this path, when we are walking in the Spirit, when we are trusting the promises of God for us in Christ, when we are seeking to glorify God and expanding His kingdom, we will also be obeying the law. But don't miss what comes first. What comes first is the trusting. What comes first is the walking. What comes first is the understanding who God is. And then, out of that, comes obedience to the law. Now this particular, as I said, house topple was one of our fighter verses. Put it, print it out in big 18 font so you can read it. And put it in different places around your house so that you can chew on it. And just pick one phrase. I picked it on purpose because I wanted you to get admonish the idol. And maybe that's where you're going to be on one given day. And sometimes that idle person that needs to be admonished is yourself. Or rejoice always. Verse 16. Maybe that is what you need to preach to yourself. Rejoice always. And then stop and think, okay, Jesus, I need to rejoice always. Help me to do this. And then start thinking about how is it, Jesus, that in light of you, I can begin to rejoice. Even if I'm dealing with cancer. Even if I'm dealing with unstable finances. Even if I'm dealing with wayward children. Help me, Jesus, right now, in this moment, to rejoice in You. 
Rejoice always. I'm calling these God-centered thoughts. Because unlike cancer, unlike financial difficulties, unlike wayward children, God-centered thoughts lift us through those things. Not to push them away. Not to say they're no big deal. But to look to Jesus and have these God-centered thoughts which will lift us through these. And then we'll be able to recognize Him in our life. Now, I happen to know that this particular passage is a favorite of my friend Chuck Griffith, who's sitting right back there by the computer. And he is always quoting to me, hold fast to that which is good. Good advice. Good advice. Think these God-centered thoughts and ask yourself, am I living better than the average pagan? Famous French atheist Voltaire once remarked, show me your redeemed life and I will believe in your Redeemer. There's some fairness to that statement. Am I living better than the average pagan in front of all the different groups of people that I know? You have different groups of people that you run with in different aspects of your life. Do they see in that small portion of you that you have a redeemed life? So whatever it is that you enjoy in your leisure time, do that with someone else and make sure that while you are doing these, you are showing them that your life is redeemed. And one very good way of going about this is having God-centered thoughts. Encourage those whom you have responsibility towards not to be the not to be idle. Encourage those who are discouraged. Help those who are stumbling in some area. Above all, be patient. I want to start singing that children's song, but I still don't remember all the words to it. Be patient, be patient, don't fret or start to worry. All right, a couple of you know it. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna quiz you afterwards. And all of these can best be accomplished by intentionally taking time to meditate on His Word. And my friends, that's why I'm giving you this list. This list is a partial list and maybe not even the most important passages for you. Ask the Holy Spirit. Maybe He will give you a different one. But this is a place to start. Start meditating on these passages and asking your Lord how can these passages be implemented into my life so that I can be the person who reflects Your glory? Use your time to please the Lord. Remember, I don't want anybody accusing me of blasphemy. You are not under the law. And remember that the closer you get to grace, the more familiar you are with the Holy Spirit, the more closely you will walk according to these commands. The means that God uses, the tools, so to speak, that He uses to shape our lives into a mutually pleasing, pleasing to God and pleasing to us. The tools that He shapes to make this mutually pleasing life are the commands that He's given to us as we walk in faith, living them. Use your time to please your Lord. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank You for this opportunity to come before You. And Lord, we cannot follow Your law. We cannot 
understand. Uh, we cannot do consistently the things that you command. But Lord, as has many generations of Christians known, when we trust and obey, then we will be happy in Jesus. Help us to do that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.